Hey, everyone, Sarah Peck here, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, we're diving into a conversation I am so thrilled to be having. It's about social activism and social justice and talking about race. And how do you do it? Before we bring Tepsi back to the show, just so everybody knows, we had her on the show in the previous episode. So if you want to hear her background and all about her business, her parenting journey, where she lives, and some insanely useful advice that she has about money, skip back one episode and listen to that one first. This is our second interview with Tepsi. But before we get started and welcome her back to the show, I also want to own up and share a bit of my personal journey. One of my big beliefs is that we need to practice learning out loud. There is a huge amount of pressure to show up and be polished and perfect, but I don't really believe that this ideal helps us as people. It doesn't help our children, and it kind of hides and like disfigures what it actually takes to grow and change. So one of our core values at Startup Pregnant is to live and learn out loud to the extent possible. So with that in mind, you know, it's a lot easier said than done. But I want to share my own journey a little bit in this conversation and own up to some things that I'm personally growing into. In my own work in understanding race and privilege and class, I have huge blinders on and I'm working to unpack them and learn as I go. That means I'm ignorant about things that I haven't learned yet and that I will, I guarantee you, I will make mistakes always. Maybe you heard it on our episode with Tracy and Karina, but I kept saying, you guys, you guys, you guys. And I had two women on the show. I had to learn that out loud, and I'm still learning it. But what really matters and what I want to try to live into as a philosophy is that we make mistakes and we approach it with kindness and we're willing to learn. And I guess one of the reasons why I share this out loud and one of the reasons I'm taking the time now to share this is that I hope it can inspire you to also start to wade into what feels like tricky conversations and know and trust that you're not going to have the right answers when you start and you're not going to have the perfect conversation or it's going to feel uncomfortable and that's part of it, right? And we all have to do that work because we don't grow if we don't get uncomfortable and try. So from the start, I wanted to have this show represent a lot of pictures of motherhood, from class to color to type of business to urban environment. So we're featuring women, all women to start, not men, or folks that identify as women because women's voices have been traditionally underrepresented. You can look at the Grammys. Only 9.2% of the Grammys are awarded to women, and a full 90% are awarded to men. And there's a study by USC that talks about the discrepancy and there's math to show why stuff like that doesn't happen by probability, but it's actually a long history of underrepresenting particular voices. So when it comes to finding the right mix or balance for the show, I do look at and use demographics to try to make sure that I'm not hosting a show that's all one demographic or one type. Since I'm based in the U.S., and that's where our show and philosophy starts from, I strive to keep a blend that's about accurate to the population data. So whatever percentage of the population is represented by a certain demographic type, that's I try to make sure we have at least that representation as a minimum on the show to the best of my ability. Of course, I make mistakes or I don't see the whole picture and one of the greatest honors is being able to be in conversation with so many of you and have you share with me what's working and what's not working. And 
already I've gotten letters from people that said that that have reached out and have educated me. And you've told me that we're telling a whole lot of stories of tech businesses and also a lot about women who have a lot of privilege and money. And uh, we have. You're right. Coming down the pipeline, we have more stories of brick and mortar businesses and people from rural areas, not just urban centers. And that's really exciting to me to be able to learn and live out loud. Because the goal of this show is to continue to tell stories of motherhood that help us focus on this very important philosophy. And that is that there is no one picture of motherhood. There is no one picture of womanhood. And there's no one picture of entrepreneurship. That diversity and difference help us all. And that in listening to all of these stories, the breadth, the depth, the differences, you'll find people to learn from, both from the overlaps and from the intersections. So one of my biggest wake-up calls in doing this show so far has been that race and class for me come up mostly when I'm talking to people of color. And I don't or haven't asked white women about how they talk to their children about race. And that's something that occurs to me in this interview in particular. I've recorded 53 interviews so far. We're currently on interview number 36. And I realized that overwhelmingly, I've asked my chocolate and brown and dark-skinned and all different colors about what it's like to grow up as a woman of color because they can't not ask that question. But to my white and Caucasian and porcelain sisters, I have not ask that question. And that's something I want to change. I share this because it's honest, because it's live, it's real time. And also because I want to make sure to say before we get into this show and this episode, that I asked Tepsi in advance about having this conversation. I try to let my guests guide whether or not they want to go into this space, because it's not their obligation to have to educate us about race. In our previous episode, we got to hear about her life, her business, her work, her parenting journey. And before the show, I asked her if she was interested in talking about social justice and activism and her experience as a black woman and parent. And, you know, what it's like to be in a mixed race couple and how she talks to her children about race. And she said she would be happy to have that conversation. So today we're in it. And I'm so thankful we get to have this conversation and share it with you. So that is... A long introduction, welcoming Tepsi back to the show. If you have questions or notes, you have book recommendations or reactions, please feel free to reach out to me. Our email address is hello at startuppregnant.com. It's right on our website, too, at startuppregnant.com. And we're all over the social web as Startup Pregnant. So you can reach out to us at any time and let us know what you think. Let us know your reactions. Let us know what books you're reading and and everything that you're learning alongside us. We're so grateful that you're here and you're listening. And thanks for letting me share this out loud and live out loud in front of you. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Today, I've got something fun I want to tell you about. We are putting together a weekly letter that we send out to all of our readers. In the letter, we talk about the joys, the pains, the difficulties, and really useful strategies for making motherhood and work a little bit easier and more joyful. Sign up at startuppregnant.com newsletter. 
We are also organizing all of the information on our website into three streams, pregnancy, parenting, and entrepreneurship. So you can find resources and guides on figuring out how to manage your pregnancy, tips and best books on parenting, and success strategies from other entrepreneurs all about running your own business. Take a look through our website. And if you've got something in particular that you want to see or you want us to work on, we are always reachable by email. Just send us a note. I'm Sarah at hello at startuppregnant.com. Yes, I just gave you my direct email address. And you can tell me what you think would be really useful because I love hearing from you. And if you want to tell us we're awesome, we also take that as well. We love having that in our email inbox. Thanks so much. All right, let's dig in. As always, hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a minute to leave us a review, we would love that. If you need any of the show notes from the show, head to startuppregnant.com. You call yourself a social activist. I read your bio about the work that you do in your business and your copywriting. And then I read the way that you described yourself. And you talk about social activism and how important it is to really raise up all people. And I want to ask you about what does money mean for people for whom they haven't had access to money or their history as a people means that economic means have been really hard for them? What are you finding there? So what I'm finding is that in our modern day society, and especially in the industry that I'm in, which is online courses and services and coaching, there is a lot of damage being done by people who are well-meaning, teaching people that, you know, if you cannot ask for money, you don't value yourself. And teaching people that, you know, you just need to work on your mindset in order to, you know, be able to show up in your business. And it's so much more than that. Of course, you need to work on your mindset. But, you know, an hour or two of mindset work for someone who's been through generations of trauma is probably not enough. And I think we need to start with the layers of the generational stuff going back at least seven generations thinking about what your people have been through to get to where you are today, I think is really, really crucial work and doing energy healing, I believe in energy healing, going back through time, sort of using like a, you know, visualization or using your imagination to go back in time and heal some of those moments, heal some of those wounds. And this is lifetime work. So you don't just do it once, you have to be committed to like a daily practice of healing yourself, and your generational stuff in order to be successful going into the future. I think that's something I really believe 100% wholeheartedly because I've tried to do once off healing and think, oh, I'm totally over that. You know, I'll never do something to sabotage myself again. And then I have a new scenario show up where I act the same way I acted before. So that means I need to really start paying attention to what my patterns are. What are some of the patterns my family has partaken in? What are some of the things that I see my family doing on a consistent basis? And then what are some of the things I see showing up for me, maybe in romantic relationships, in my parenting style, in my self-care, in my eating routine, in all my routines, because that all comes back to my self-image, how I see myself in the world. And my self-image is directly tied to my ability to go into the world and ask for money in exchange for whatever it is that I do or whatever it is that I'm selling. So really 
that self image work, you know, being able to connect with yourself, connect with your ancestors, even if you don't like your ancestors, even if you don't like your family of origin, you need to do this work to discover what it is that your family of origin has gone through, the reasons why they've acted the way that they've acted over time, the reason that will inform you to why you are acting in particular ways, and, you know, start to find healing. I think money is a crucial part of creating economic and social change in our world. Most of the doing good that we can do in the world, we cannot do when we're broke. You know, you cannot give somebody, you know, a glass of water if your well is empty. And so it starts with us being able to make money in an authentic and, you know, consciously good way. And then using that money to, you know, filter into the organizations and the social situations that we care about. So for me, I care a lot about education, you know, and girls. I care a lot about racial justice and equality. I care a lot about prison reform and the school to prison pipeline that's, you know, really rampant in the U.S., especially amongst black males. So, you know, those are the issues that I've identified as caring about as a person and as a brand. And those are the things that I I speak a lot about. Of course, I also speak about, you know, LGBTQ issues and a lot of different social justice things. But my main things that I focus on and care about are the ones I mentioned. And so me being able to show up for the communities that I stand for and care about, you know, it starts with me spiritually being okay and using my spirituality as the base or the anchor for the work that I do in the world. And I believe that using my voice is a really important part of that work that I do. When I use my voice and I share my feelings and my opinions and my experiences, people listen. I resonate with them some way or another and they show up. And when they do show up, they say, you know, you do business differently. I like the way that you show up. I want to hire you. So a lot of people think by talking about social justice stuff, you know, you're making your brand political. But I argue that life is political and that spirituality is political and that if I don't show up as a spiritually mature or spiritually maturing person in work for the issues that are going on in the world, then I'm actually contributing to the problems that I see out there. And there's so many ways to contribute to the positive work, to the positive side, but using your voice and your influence and your platform for me is a step one. Step two will be getting out there in the world to start my foundation finally. And step three will be connecting to other sort of, or maybe step two is connecting to other leaders and government departments and NGOs and things like that to partner. And then step three is to, you know, do the work and inspire other people to change. And really, I think that if I can impact in my lifetime, one person who's going to help another person, then we can start to create the ripples to change the world. I think you said something so interesting, too, about how sometimes it feels like you're starting to look at the patterns in your life and then you What's a good analogy? It's like a video game or it's not like you solve a problem and then it's over and you've like put the puzzle together. We were done with the 500 piece puzzle. It's like you level up to the next level of difficulty and the pattern comes back and you get the next challenge in your life to kind of surface and understand who am I? What's happening? Where is this coming from? And I'm so grateful that you said a lot of these systemic issues and patterns are intergenerational and can't be solved in a one-hour mindset session. It's so much more than that. And you're really leading by example by doing the inner work yourself. I mean, where do we start? We start, we start. 
I am curious about when we were first introduced by a mutual friend of ours, we got onto a Facebook messaging group chat and we immediately started talking about how to raise our little ones. Specifically with the question, how do you raise little ones with an awareness of race and class and what's happening in the world? Do you have ideas about how you talk to your kids about waking up to see what's actually happening in the world around them? So it's quite challenging. When they were little, I think I tried to ignore it, thinking, well, they're just kids. They don't need this added, quote unquote, baggage, you know, to think about in the world. But I realized that if I don't educate them, you know, I have one daughter who's two African parents that, you know, she's born of. And then my other two kids are mixed from my husband, who's white, and me, who is African and black. And so we have a multi-racial, multi-national <laughs> family, a blended family. And so, you know, these conversations are important. The first one was, you know, my oldest daughter, she's the one who she has this white father who's raising her and me. So race came up really quickly with her, you know, talking about why does she look different from daddy? And what does that mean? And realizing that I had to have conversations with her and talk to her about, you know, what to do when people call her a slur, you know, use the N word, things like that, which I think a lot of white parents don't necessarily feel they have to do. You know, that's part of white privilege is not having to go through the world kind of with a fear that someone is going to do something to threaten your safety. Teaching her that, but really delicately, not like trying to fear monger my child. I want her to go through the world confidently and with peace and with love and to give everybody that she meets, you know, a valid chance at being her friend. And so, you know, that just explaining some of the scenarios, sometimes it's explaining what's going on in the news you know, when they're a little bit older, that has been something with my little ones, we talk about the smallest one, she believes she's the same color as mommy, she doesn't really know the difference. She's very light skinned, and I'm much darker than her. She doesn't see the difference yet. You know, we have these conversations with her, and she doesn't see the difference. And I'm not here to like, really press that with her. I don't know if she's ready to have that conversation. She's three. And when we try to talk to her about it, she starts giggling and then, you know, points out something that she wants to play with and she walks away. And that's okay, you know, so trying to have the conversations, letting them happen on the kids terms and not on my terms, I think it's really important. What's been hard is being mixed and having kids that look different from one another. You know, people make comments about my mixed kids hair being so beautiful, being so much better than African hair their skin being so beautiful, just different weird comments that people make. And I try to say to the people while they're saying the comment, like, it's a really weird comment to make to Mm. a three-year-old about Mm. their hair. Like, you know, somebody will, you know, say, I want to love your hair. I want to take it and put it on my head. And then my my child will be super frightened, not wanting to go into the world. (laughs) We're going to take their hair off their head. And so they're like, what is this? You know, so it's a moment for me to you know, kind of let the person know, like, heads up, like, that's a weird thing to say, please don't say that. And then for my kids to let them know, like, you know, people might say weird things to you. It's okay. Don't worry about them. You know, you're absolutely gorgeous and wonderful and beautiful the way that you are. But I concentrate much more on their brain matter, like talking to them about their intellect and about their minds than their beauty, their external beauty, because, you know, that can fade. And that is, something that you're 
given, it's not really, you know, up to you. Being beautiful isn't something that, you know, you accomplish. I want them to celebrate the things that they can actually accomplish. So I guess it's a really bumpy ride. It's a bumpy road. And my kids are just watching me have these conversations with other people, I think, a lot, too, and asking questions as they hear the conversations that I'm having publicly. I do a lot of Facebook Live and, you know, posting articles and things like that. And so they're kind of privy to those conversations. And that kind of starts us going. But I'm actually learning a lot more about what it is to be a social justice parent. And I've met this woman named Dee Layler, who... Actually, that is her whole mission is raising conscious kids. And I really want to learn from her. So if anybody is wondering, I want you to look up Dee Layler, D-E-E-L-A-Y-L-O-R. She's doing amazing work. Mm, I'll put that in the show notes so that people can take a look. Those comments that you mentioned, for people that don't know, there's a whole body of work about what microaggressions are and why they're slight and they're little and they don't seem like a lot, but they really can be. And when you start to unpack them, for people who are copywriters and interested in language and linguistics, it's really fascinating to look at. Like, what does it mean when someone says, oh, your hair is so beautiful or you look ethnic or just things that seem or like, where are you from can be really benign. And underneath it, when you start to unpack it, the deeper root of the question is, you don't look like you're from here or you're not part of the group is kind of what it's getting at. So, oh, and I'm always curious because it's going to come up in our life soon. We've got a little one and a half year old. He's a, a white, blue eyed, insanely tall boy who is the benefactor of all sorts of privilege. And it's a question we think about all the time. Like, how do we talk to our children about what privileges and what races and what it means to be a conscious citizen, a global citizen in this world? I also recommend just now as we're adding things to the show notes, I'll also recommend the documentary Hair by Chris Rock. I don't know if you've seen it, Tepsi. Have you? I have seen it. I believe it's from 2011, maybe. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember watching it and being absolutely astonished by the scenery. And, you know, as a kid, I would always try to grow my hair however I wanted it and be told, what are you doing with this? Why aren't you relaxing your hair, which is chemically straightening your hair? And, you know, I get that question a lot, even now. Uh, my daughters get that question a lot. The mixed kids, people are always asking me if I blow dry their hair, make it straight. I don't know why I would spend extra time working on a toddler's hair, like really seriously. But, you know, there's something inherent in those slight little comments that make you feel in the end that what you are is not okay, right? What you are naturally is not okay. And I think the microaggression thing, it seems so small as people say to you, like, you're so smart for a black girl or you know, people will say to me, you know, different comments about my butt being big or whatever. And isolated, I can get over one comment, you know, it doesn't really matter. But like when it gets to like the hundredth comment, something snaps inside you. And it really is one of the most painful experiences. And that happened for me when I saw this video that I think is absolute horrible trash by this brand that I had admired and purchased something from. They like to sort of highlight or feature their fans and their users who make videos that are cool that could have the potential of going viral. So this one guy made a video about ClickFunnels, which is the brand, and about how ClickFunnels is, you know, an amazing tool and how it's like an all-in-one website builder and allows you to run your entire business and shepherd your customer through a journey that leads to them making a sale. So 
on the surface, this video looks amazing and it's funny and it seems witty. But when you look at it, he's playing a black character and he's wearing grills in this video and this big oversized necklace and and he's playing this character which feels like a caricature of a black man, right? And a black rapper, I guess. And so I called this guy out and I said, hey, dude, like, what are you doing? Like, this is not okay. When I watched the video, I couldn't even finish it because I felt like, oh my gosh, like what, like how, why isn't it okay for a black person to just go through the world being a black person? And why do we become the material for what this person is calling quote unquote art? And it really hurt. Like it hurt the core of me. I cried for probably two to three hours after watching that video because it just reminded me of moving through the world and my being, my traditions, my existence being the Kindle for people's laughter. And so, you know, when I tried to bring this up with this guy, he was like, what's your issue? It's just a character. This is me just expressing myself. People love this character. And then he said, you know, whenever I rap just without the character, people make comments about me anyway. And they say that I'm appropriating culture anyway. So now that I've just made the character, like it's wildly popular and I'm just going to keep doing what I want. Brands are reaching out to me. People are reaching out to me and I love it. And I'm like, the reason this is an issue is because this hurts us black people to watch. And he said, well, I've had black people reach out to me and tell me it was brilliant. And I'm like, okay, but what about the people who are telling you that it's painful? What about the people who are telling you it's hurtful? And so I've been having this ongoing conversation about, you know, things like this that seem so slight, you know, but is modern day blackface and people using emojis and gifts, you know, to make fun of certain things and using the black ones in certain ways to look cool or like look like you're hip or trendy. It's a huge issue. It's a huge problem in our industry. And that's something I really want to shed some light on. And I'll send you the link so you can add it to the show notes so that, you know, other people can see what I'm talking about. Mm, I'd love that. So when I start talking about things like this, I have a couple of questions for you. And I think you're really generous on your Facebook page about inviting people into the conversation, especially people who might feel uncomfortable talking about things like this. First of all, I think people are bound to make mistakes and be tone deaf, you know, unfortunately or unfortunately. We tread into this arena, especially if we have the privilege to have not had these conversations for a while. How do we encourage people to speak up and to join this conversation and to participate willingly, knowing full well that we're going to make mistakes along the way and that it's not an easy conversation to have? Well, I think that like the first thing is a lot of people depend or rely on people of color to educate them or teach them about what's okay, what's not okay, about, you know, cultural references, about racism, about white privilege, you know, those things. And I really don't feel that it's the job, the collective job of black people to talk about it. A lot of my black friends, whenever these conversations come up, they tell me that they don't participate because it's too painful to participate because if they go those places, they're afraid they're never going to come back up. Right. And so, you know, a lot of black people consciously are not having these conversations. And I really wholeheartedly respect that, you know, it's, we're not all called to do this work. I think it's on the, the part of white people. I think racism is a white people's problem. It's not a black people's problem. I think homophobia is a straight people's problem, not a gay people's problem. 
I think, you know, anti-Semitism is a world problem, not a Jewish problem. And so first thing first, we need to seek out the places where we can educate ourselves as people take responsibility for our education. That's first. The second thing that I've done in having some of these conversations is I haven't really been as clear as I could have been. And I think from here going out or for the past couple of weeks, actually, I've been really conscious of this. I've had people get on my posts, call people names, call people stupid, you know, for not understanding racism or for being ignorant of certain things. And that is not okay. I don't think that shaming somebody for not understanding something is going to get us to the solution, right? Because then people shut down and shut off and leave the conversation without having even understood and thinking that, you know, people who want to have these conversations are out to quote unquote, get them, which is not the truth. But I think these conversations get really highly energized and emotional very quickly. So as the facilitator of the conversations, I think for me to set the tone is to let people know like, okay, I'm not going to hate you if you do say something racist. Like I have friends and family who have said racist things. I continue to love them because they are not defined by being a racist. They have said something racist, yes, but that's not the total of who they are. That doesn't encompass all the wonderful, kind, beautiful things that they've done and been in the world to me and to other people. And that has been a discovery over time because I used to think I had this idea of racists being, you know, the guys in the hoods wanting me dead and just being awful, you know, no morals, no sense of justice. And coming to realize when I married into a white family, I saw some racist attitudes and words from the very same people who have exhibited lots of love and, you know, shared laughter with me and been very kind to me. And so seeing that, you know, racism kind of has two faces, leading people to do their own research. I think people being willing to go and check out, there's so many resources and such a body of work when it comes to documenting these things and sharing those links and talking to people and getting people to go there, getting white people to go check those things out. I think it's important, Hmm. but I'm still learning to navigate the balance between what people refer to as white fragility, which is when white people first see that they've maybe been part of a system of oppression and said and done and contributed to racism and then get really emotional and fragile and either they're going to, you know, say in response, insults the people who are bringing this up to them, gaslight them, you know, bypass them, whatever they do. Learning not to cowtail to white fragility, but also learning to somehow have these conversations in a safe way. I'm still learning. I don't know. Mm. I don't have all the answers. Amen, because I'm still learning as well. And You mentioned white fragility and people who are listening. The question I asked just before was, in some ways, it was like, tell us it's okay to feel uncomfortable. That's kind of what I asked, which now that I'm, you know, reflecting on it was like, oh, don't love that question. And that's the work, right? We're here doing the work, asking the questions, figuring it out, feeling the feelings. And I'm grateful for a lot of things. First, that we had a conversation in advance that we could talk about this on the show because it's not the job of people of color or people of certain systems to have to speak on behalf or be advocates for a certain group of people. I work really hard to make sure that the questions I ask are what's it like to be an entrepreneur and what's it like to be a parent? And if it comes up, it comes up. If people want to talk about it, they can. And you graciously said, this is part of your body of work and you'd be happy to share. So I'm really thankful for that. 
And I'm really thankful that you shared and reminded us all that we've got to go out and do the work. So I'm going to put in the show notes, if people are interested, if they're curious, if they want to learn more, I can highly recommend Patty Dye has a course. It's called The Art of Activism, and she's doing a book club in 2018, a new book every month about women, about race, about class, about privilege. And it's a great way to learn. I think the total cost of the course is $5 just so that she can get you on the email list, which is great. And if you want to listen to another episode on this show, we talked to Amber Anderson earlier. I'll put that link in the show notes as well, because she talks a lot about how poverty and race affect the ability for a woman to go into entrepreneurship. Those are some of the resources I'll recommend, and I'll list them all in the show notes for everybody. Tepsi, I am so thankful that you are here sharing this, that you've built your platform. And my last question for you is about what you're focused on in the coming year. What's next for you? What are you building next? That's a loaded question. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, take it wherever you want to go. I started my brand really contributing to the online lifestyle brand thing And I'm doing some introspective work to realize that maybe I was also contributing to what I think is the widespread issue in terms of recognizing underrepresented people. And in terms of the language that I've been using, I recently came across this person, they, they prefer non-gender pronouns. So they are called the radical copy editor and they do the work of kind of, you know, talking about gender and race and a little bit of class stuff. And I really like the way that they're expressing themselves in the world. So I'm realizing that what I wanted to do was tear it all down. I wanted to tear down my copywriting business, tear down my coaching business and all my programs and be like, you know, come out here. I'm only a social justice activist and warrior. And that's all I do. And what I'm realizing is that my work is important as a copywriter. It's important as a coach to be a different brand of copywriter and a different brand of coach, which I've always done sort of privately, I think. But now publicly, I'm going to be adding a lot more of the social justice and activism into the work and into the teaching that I do, into the speaking that I do to really build this platform. So my goal is to do a lot more speaking to if you're listening and you have an event coming up and you need a robust speaker who can talk on various topics, like, you know, I, I talk a lot about mindset and money, but also how that connects to, you know, the writing that you do and you know, how to persuade and make sales. So that is, you know, I think one of my biggest goals for the coming year is to really build up my speaking platform because I love being in, in person and live with people. And I will be relaunching my copywriting services, as well as my coaching program with attracting warriors and attracting people who are looking to show up in the world in a really powerful way for themselves and for the communities that they represent. If you're interested in checking me out and seeing what I do, you can go to tepsy.com. I'm in the middle of like what is very uncomfortable for somebody who is a what I like to call myself, I'm a branding teacher and quote unquote expert in the middle of, you know, thinking about a rebrand. It's very uncomfortable because I'm like, what you see there at tepsy.com is not necessarily reflective of who I am right now in 2017. But hopefully in 2018, I will have, you know, figured it out. I'm figuring it out. (laughs) Mm. 
it's the cobbler's shoes syndrome, right? Like, I think we're always a year or two ahead mentally of the presence that we have out in the world, sometimes on our websites. And I know that feeling so well. Where yeah, and, and go what ahead. I want people to know is it's okay to be there. Like a lot of people have a lot of shame and they will shame you online or in these communities sometimes for not knowing what you're doing. It's okay. But I do know is that I am a spiritual teacher and an activist for peace and justice, and that I'm really skilled at business and at writing, those are the things that matter. And the rest will kind of come together. Hmm. And I think I can hear maybe some kid noises in the background. Sounds like they came home from the park. (laughs) You can hear them. Oh, my gosh. Just a tiny, just a teeny tiny bit. I was just gonna say, I think it's amazing. Um, (laughs) Love it. So thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to do this interview. It's such a treat to be able to share your voice with our audience. Where can people find you on the social internet to tell you hi and hello and how awesome you are? So you can search for me at Tepsi, T-E-P-S-I-I on Facebook. I have a personal page, which you can follow. A lot of my posts are on there. I have a business page as well. I have a Facebook group called Copy Besties, where I talk about copywriting and business building. And I also have a new kind of community called the Soul Sphere. So in that community, we're talking all about the soul, all about self-care, all about mysticism and meditation and self-healing and sexuality. So it's really quite different and activism. (laughs) So I'm kind of nurturing these two kind of communities because these are two really distinct parts of me. And at first I thought I would just, you know, burn the one down as I mentioned, but now I realize I can nurture both and have fun with both. So you can find me there. I'll share all my links with you. You can find me on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. And I would really encourage you if you are growing a business or a brand and you want to learn a little bit more about the resources and the tools that you need, check out my freebie page, tepsi.com slash freebie. I have pages for you to check out in terms of how to write copy and how to launch and mindset. So go and check those resources out if you've enjoyed what you've heard with me today. so much for being a listener of the show. A few more things before we end this episode. First, if you know of a woman or a friend that would benefit from this show, send them a link to our website at startuppregnant.com. So many of you have already reached out and shared your stories, what this podcast is doing for you. And for that, I am so grateful. So if you know of somebody that would love to listen in, or you think that these stories would really hit at home for somebody, feel free to send it along. Second, if you've got a story that you need to share or tell, head over to startuppregnant.com and send us a note. We have had so much reader mail already, and your stories mean the world to us. We are proudly listener-sponsored, so if you want to sponsor the show and hear more episodes, head over to our Patreon page and you can buy us a cup of coffee or two or three. We'll take many cups of coffee. If you want any of the show notes or links from this particular episode, all of the references and tools and tips that we talk about are always posted on StartupPregnant.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.